When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. We're discussing individual one. And sharing our raw follow-up interview with Tiffany Bond, who ran for Congress in Maine. This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics brought to you from the Panera parking lot. We're together. We're together in Sarah's minivan. In my minivan because we just had an amazing two-hour coffee chat with Amy McGrath. It was really, really awesome. We did not record all two hours. We've got some audio to share with you, but this was really, we really wanted to meet her in person and talk to her, and it was an unbelievable conversation. So today, we're going to talk a little bit about the Mueller investigation because it's really reached a place where we can't talk about something else. We had something else planned. We did. But Robert Mueller has been busy. The prosecutors in the Southern District of New York have been busy, so we're going to talk about that. And then we are going to share a conversation we had last week with Tiffany Bond, who you might recall ran for Congress in Maine. And Tiffany has been very real and raw from the beginning, and this conversation is no different. different. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a really important conversation. If you are dissatisfied in any way with the state of politics, you need to listen to this conversation and share it with other people. And we'll end as we always do with what's on our minds outside of politics. I feel, Sarah, 
that we have no choice but to talk about Top Chef Kentucky today. Woohoo! So, lead the way, Beth. You're our Mueller expert. There are a number of pieces contributing to the news cycle right now, and I think it's confusing. And so we need to make sure that we distinguish what's happening in the Southern District of New York from the Mueller investigation. In the Southern District of New York, prosecutors have been looking at the payments that Michael Cohen facilitated to Karen McDougal and Stormy Daniels while President Trump was campaigning for the presidency. And prosecutors filed a memo asking for no leniency, essentially, for Michael Cohen, because even though Cohen's lawyers are trying to paint a picture of him as a cooperating witness, prosecutors in the Southern District of New York, and these are federal prosecutors, they're still part of the Department of Justice. It is just not the special counsel's office. This is happening through normal channels. Those prosecutors say that Michael Cohen is not a cooperating witness in the way that that term is used in their district, that there are other crimes that Michael Cohen has involvement in, that he's not being forthcoming, that he has at all times acted out of self-interest and Mm -hmm. greed, that he is a lying liar who lies, Mm -hmm. essentially. Mm -hmm. Which is why he had such a great partnership with our president. And so they are saying he broke campaign finance laws in a criminal way by facilitating these payments and depriving the American people of the opportunity to learn the truth about their candidate for president. And it is in that document that you have the president repeatedly referred to as individual one. And there is no doubt about who individual one is, because it says things like individual one commenced and ran a successful campaign for president. (laughs) So it's not confusing who they're referring to. So that happened in the Southern District of New York. The Mueller team, through the special counsel's office, also filed a document related to Michael Cohen that says he has been helpful to them. He has provided some information. It is very clear that the Mueller team understands that they are dealing with people who are not truth tellers. And so they're careful to talk about their ability to corroborate statements made to them by both Michael Cohen and Paul Manafort. And they also had a filing in the Manafort case about how Paul Manafort has breached his plea agreement with them. The Mueller team documents are heavily redacted. So it's very difficult to discern exactly what's going on. But what is clear from the Mueller findings is that they are actively investigating coordination with Mm -hmm. Russia. You saw the phrase in the Southern District of New York filings, political synergy, which sounds like a a very kind way of saying collusion. Mm -hmm. So that investigation is ongoing, obviously. It is also pretty clear that they are investigating coordination with the Russian government by the Trump transition team. And then there is a third matter listed as being part of an ongoing investigation, and it's unclear what that matter is. There's lots of speculation that that has to do with Turkey and Michael Flynn's contacts in Turkey. Because Michael Flynn had sentencing as well, right? 
Yes, earlier in the week, I waited forever for the Flynn sentencing memo. It was dropped very late in the evening, and once it was dropped, it was pages and pages and pages of redactions. Almost impossible to glean anything from the Flynn memo other than Flynn has been highly cooperative, and the Mueller team requests that he receive no jail time because of how cooperative he has been. That's interesting. Well, and back to the Southern District of New York and the payment. I mean, the issue with that, even though we now know it's individual one, we now know that he directed payment, which is illegal. The problem is he has to have known. There has to be intent that he directed that knowing it was illegal. That's our next step, even if they would indict him, which the general policy has been not to indict a sitting president. And that's unusual. For most crimes in our country, you don't have to know that what you're doing is illegal in order for you to still intend to do it in the criminal sense. But these campaign finance laws are different in this way. So I think that that's where people got very excited and then had to be like, oh, right. No, he has to. I mean, Sadly, knowing what I know about Donald Trump, I wouldn't be surprised if they could not prove that he intended to break the law because he did not understand that this was illegal. I don't know. Do you think that he would have that he would have the requisite intent that he would know it's illegal to direct payments, hush money payments? I'd like to think he would, but I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't. I guess that's where I'm at. I don't know. I think it's always difficult to prove intent. Mm -hmm. And I think proving this kind of specific intent is difficult. I think it's especially difficult when... Everyone in this orbit has been dishonest so many times. You don't have any credible witnesses. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of people who have shown at every turn a decision to be dishonest. And I think we should walk back a little bit from there to say what we're really talking about here in terms of that political synergy. The picture is still dark for me in a lot of places, but the understanding that I am coming to at least partially as these documents come out, is that Team Trump, meaning the Trump organization, Trump the business entity, wanted to build Trump Tower Moscow. Mm -hmm. I feel like months ago on this podcast, there is a recording of either me or you saying they were definitely trying to build something in Russia. Like we can all acknowledge that, right? And now here we do. We have proof that, again, important to remember not to lose sight of that from the beginning, they've said, oh, no, we were not talking to them. There was nothing. And they just keep changing the story and changing the story and changing the story. I feel like you and I have always thought that this would come down to business interests. Mm-hmm. And the trouble is in Russia, in particular, business interests always fuse with governmental interests mm-hmm. because you really need cooperation of governmental authorities in Russia to an even greater degree than you do in the United States to get something done like building Trump Tower Moscow. Right. And the trouble is whether they were ignorant or naive or just didn't care Mm -hmm. in a reckless way, those lines started to blur as he became the candidate for president. And so you had things happening in the United States, like Paul Manafort working on changing the Republican Party's platform position on Ukraine, as Michael Cohen is negotiating actively the building of Trump Tower Moscow. And all along, you have people being dishonest about what's happening. Again, I don't know if they were ignorant or naive or reckless, But once you're in the public light and you start lying, a country like Russia has a lot of practice of exploiting your lies and exerting influence over you because of your lies. And that is where we start to get national security risk, even if you put the idea of election interference aside. Mm -hmm. And so 
there is a a stew forming, I think, throughout the Trump campaign where business interest and political interest and geopolitical interest all start cooking together. And it's going to be really difficult, I think, to prove any of that in a court of law, given how dishonest all those actors have been. But understand, everyone, that the impeachment process doesn't require you to untangle that stew. Impeachment would say, is there enough here to determine that the president cannot be the president anymore Mm -hmm. for one reason or another? And so... I'm always troubled by this sense of Robert Mueller is coming to save us because he's not. Robert Mueller's job is to, as best as he can, list the ingredients and the cooking process Mm -hmm. on that stew. But if Trump is not to be the president anymore, Congress or the American people will have to make that happen. Yep. Acknowledging that you are not a psychological professional, can you offer any insight as to why he thinks all the information that came out cleared him and he was tweeting about how he'd been cleared? I think the president fully understands that impeachment is a political process. Mm. And I think the president believes that he is a marketing genius. And as long as he continues to control the marketing of this, he has branded the Mueller investigation. And I think he believes as long as he tells his base, here's what you should think about this, he will win the day. I mean, look, Sean Hannity's reaction to this was snooze fest, boring. The press secretary said, no new information here, which mm-hmm. I was like, that's good, Sarah. Yeah. Right. There's not much else to say. So she says, we've already, we already knew all of this. Yeah. And in a way, that's true. Yeah. In a way, we did know all of this right. as it was unfolding. We just didn't know it in the way we should know it in a presidential election. So I think we are in a spot where, as a country, we have to decide whether we're going to tolerate continuing to let the bottom fall out. Mm -hmm. Because I think Team Trump's thing is like, there's nothing really new here. People have foreign interests all the time. They're just not as overt as ours. We're just telling the truth about what's always going on. People do opposition research all the time. We're just telling the truth about it. And we didn't tell you the full truth because, you know, the media will twist and turn that. But this is what really goes on. And you'll hear Trump supporters kind of say the same thing. Nothing new here. Same old stuff. Everybody does it. And I just feel like we're in a place as a country where we have to say, are we cool with continuing Mm -hmm. to let the bottom drop out of what we are willing to tolerate? I wish I knew the answer to that question. I wish I knew where the American people will stop being cool with it. I really, really did. And the super, super cynical voice in my head says when the economy bottoms out, that's when they'll stop being cool with it. When they're not happy with their own like sort of individual position, then that's when. And I hate to be that cynical, And maybe it's just because there has been such bad economic news that that's at the forefront of my mind. But I wish we could have a conversation with this outside of people's personal interests. And I don't think that's because we're all bad people. I think that a lot of that's just basic human psychology. But I haven't seen anything to discourage my cynical response up until this point. I hope I do soon. And I don't know what the right outcome is here because... I think you've got a situation right now where so much of the country wants to see Donald Trump imprisoned, right? And I don't want that. I don't want someone who's had access to the information that Donald Trump has had access to and who has the impulse control issues that he has sitting in a prison. That seems like a terrible idea to me. I think there is a national security case 
for the next president pardoning Donald Trump if he is ever charged with these crimes. Not because of anything about him, but because about all of us. We have a collective interest in the outcome of what happens here. Mm -hmm. And I think it is a problem when we continue to let Donald Trump be the sun around which everything else revolves. Right. And, and I think you have to see it that way, no matter what side you're on in this conversation. But as a country, this is a mess that will set massive precedents mm-hmm. for us going forward. All right, we're going to move on and compliment the other side. I am going to compliment Congresswoman Elise Stefanik from New York. She was before Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the youngest Congress member. She was elected at the age of 30 after serving, after attending Harvard and serving in the Bush White House. And they had a delightful exchange on Twitter when Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez sort of took that new title from her. She has been unapologetic about recruiting more women into the Republican Party. She says that representation of women in the Republican Party has reached a crisis level. I agree. She's discussed um, recruiting women to primary Republicans, which I think is awesome. And she had an exchange with a chair of the National Republican Congressional Committee where he was basically like, uh, I don't think that's a great idea, but if she wants to do it, she can. And she tweeted back and was like, I wouldn't ask him for your permission, friend, which I thought was amazing. So good work for her because we've been having a lot of conversations about the Republican Party, where it is now and where it's going to be going. And without women, I don't think it's going to be going anywhere. And so I applaud her efforts to recruit more women into the Republican Party. I wanted to compliment Lara Bazelon. She is the director of the Criminal Juvenile Justice and the Racial Justice Clinics at the University of San Francisco School of Law. And she has written a very, I think, important opinion piece in the New York Times headlined, I'm a Democrat and a feminist, and I support Betsy DeVos's Title IX reforms. Hmm. And she is talking in this piece about how the Obama era work on Title IX college campus rape cases was very important in stopping campuses from continually pushing victims aside. And it also disproportionately harms black men because of our assumptions about black men, the way we over-sexualize and over-criminalize their behavior, and how we have perhaps under the Obama era regulations, and this is my word, not hers, overcorrected or set up something that has a lot of unintended consequences. And she is not saying that Betsy DeVos has this right, but she is saying we need to have some difficult, uncomfortable conversations about how we deal with these circumstances on campus. And I think that this is a really brave act that she did in writing this piece. I am sure that her email is difficult, to Mm. say the least. And I just appreciate people who are willing to step out and say, like I think we say on this podcast all the time, I agree with what you're trying to do. Let's talk about the way that you're trying to do it Mm -hmm. and what you're not intending that creeps up because of the way that you're trying to do it. Next up, we're going to share our conversation with Tiffany Bond. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. 
You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day, Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. We are so excited to have Tiffany Bond back on Pantsuit Politics. Tiffany, thank you for being here. And let me just start by saying how many people in my life are getting holiday presents from Maine because of your campaign. (laughs) Well, that was the point, wasn't it? Yes. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about your race. Give us an update since we last talked. How did things shake out there in Maine? And we would love to hear some reflections on your journey. So my race may be one of the more interesting ones that you do a follow-up on because it has become involved in a lawsuit. Ooh. I know. Isn't that exciting? That's actually, sadly, a state of our democracy. You are the second candidate we've talked to whose race is involved in a lawsuit. Well, this one is different, I think, than any of the other lawsuits that you will find for a couple of reasons. The lawsuit that I'm in is basically a test of is ranked choice voting something that this country is going to have. 
And so that makes it interesting because ranked choice voting really changed the way that we voted here. And so what we're having is the odds of this race coming out exactly perfect for a test case are slim, particularly since it's the first time ranked choice voting has ever been used in a federal election. The Republican incumbent got what would be considered the plurality, or this is the argument, so they got the most votes out of the first round by a very small margin, like around 2,000 votes. And then when they reallocated votes for contenders who had been eliminated, so ranked choice voting, for those of you who are listening that don't know much about it, is also called like an instant runoff voting. And what you do is you rank the candidates in in the way you prefer to have them. So if your first choice doesn't prevail or is the low man on the totem pole and nobody gets 50%, they continue to eliminate candidates and essentially do a runoff vote with the remaining candidates by reallocating the second, third, fourth, however many choices you have until one candidate gets 50% or more of the vote. So it saves having to come back and do a runoff in a few months. It's uh, especially for states like Maine that don't have a lot of money. It's a very quick way and an easy way to hold a runoff. So the Republican got around 2,000 more before votes were reallocated. And then the instant runoff part of ranked choice voting happened. And the Democrat ended up with around 3,000 votes more than the Republican. Neither party reached 50% in the first round. We had several races that actually had this method, the Senate race, also had it, but but Angus King prevailed with more than 50% of the vote. And the first congressional district also had this method. And Shelley Pingree prevailed with more than 50% of the vote. So it was just our race that the ranked choice voting kicked in. And it was the perfect test case. Like if you could write a law school exam, it would be exactly. <laughs> the Republican has filed a lawsuit. And the first attempt was to essentially stop the ranked choice voting from kicking in, saying, hey, we have initial first round report reports. We don't even need to get into all of the counting. I won the plurality or the most from the first round. Make me the winner. The problem with that, of course, is all of the ballots had the rules for the election on it. And that's sort of like playing one of those marathon 13-hour Monopoly games and getting to the end and having somebody say, oh, we were really playing risk. Mm. So I'd like to apply different rules now. He filed to stop the counting and for him to be declared winner. That preliminary injunction, uh, the restraining order was not granted. Then it was just argued actually yesterday with updated filings where he was saying that, you know, ranked choice voting isn't constitutional, declare me the winner. And he asked for a different recourse this time. If if they couldn't be declared the winner, winner, he said, please go ahead and let's have a new election based on a much more constitutional version. Uh, And that the arguments were basically that the voters were confused and not very smart. I don't understand this, though, (laughs) Tiffany, because I thought that you your state did rank file and then it got challenged constitutionally and then they like changed the Constitution. Right. So I don't understand while we're still debating whether it's constitutional or not. So that is not a correct assessment. So we have, it's, we've been voted for it multiple times and it has continually passed. It was found to be in conflict with our state constitution, right. which is why it was used only for federal races. That's why it didn't apply. Oh. To it didn't apply to any of the other races. It only applied to congressional races. So the House and the Senate seat. So it, it, we did use it for that. We used it. We also used it for primaries for all the seats anytime it was applicable. So we we definitely have used it and have employed it. But this is the first time it's been done in a federal race. 
the amusing part is that it was really inspired by the way our gubernatorial races have happened. Uh-huh. And that's the race we couldn't use it for. But it wouldn't have mattered anyway in the gubernatorial race because a candidate got over 50 percent of the vote, which hasn't happened actually in Maine for quite some time. Well, just out of curiosity, are there any efforts to change your state constitution to allow for rank file voting in the state races? I don't know the answer to that because we just had a legislature change. And so I believe it's the state house and Senate and governor are all Democrat now. And so there may be, there may not be. It's funny. I I think a lot of Republicans see ranked choice voting as a Democrat thing, but neither party really loves it. It challenges the incumbent. It can be a Democrat or a Republican and it challenges in a couple of ways. So it lets Multiple multiple perspectives come mm-hmm. forward as alternatives that are both positive and also multiple types of criticisms of the incumbent come forward. So it, it doesn't necessarily lean towards Democrats. In fact, there have been some races where it would have been really beneficial to Republicans in Maine, just not the the race that we ran. But in general, it doesn't favor it doesn't favor incumbents and it helps people who are not part of the political system. Say, I would argue it doesn't just challenge incumbents. It challenges the two party system. And right. that's why neither party doesn't like it. Right. Yes. It's both of those things. So it challenges incumbents. It's not a partisan thing. And it does permit people to run independent. I did. I mean, I ran a very, very different campaign because I had the freedom of ranked choice voting to do it. I got over 5% of the vote um, in a major election and I spent less than $800. So that's something that I don't think you could have done with ranked choice voting. I think a lot of people would have been really really hesitant to take a risk on a campaign like that. But 16,552 people in in the district decided that they were willing to take that risk, which was really interesting. And I did run a very different type of campaign. So the winner ended up spending $131 a vote and my campaign spent less than five cents per vote. Wow. So that's a pretty big departure. Let's talk about that, Tiffany, because when we spoke with you, I think our entire community was really struck by this radically positive and democratic campaign that you were running. I would love to know sort of what lessons you learned from that, how you would advise someone who wanted to take that approach? What are your reflections on how you approach this process and how that can be scaled? So I will quickly just tell the process, how what I used, because I think not everybody has heard it. So instead of doing fundraising, I did main raising. And that meant that I rejected all campaign contributions. And so I asked people instead to shop in the district or donate to charities in the district and either write Tiffany Bond for Congress on the check or when you were shopping, leave a great note about how you found the business and that I wouldn't accept campaign contributions, but they wanted to support the community. So please look me up. And actually, some some listeners from your show did it. A, a bunch of people did it. It was it was really it was a fun way to campaign. And if you step back, I actually what I did with the entire campaign is I said, let's take all the things that are just awful about politics and let's not do them. So for example, instead of campaign signs that are expensive and ugly and bad for the environment. I had people go online and download from the website an eight and a half by 11 sheet. We still have a lot of our district on dial-up and they could download this this thing that was designed to be printed out on an eight and a half by 11 sheet on a black and white home printer or color if you had it and tape it in your car window or tape it in your house window. And at the end of the season, just recycle it or start a fire with it, you know, whatever you want to use. It uses a coloring sheet for your child, but it was one sheet of paper instead of an expensive 
expensive, very difficult and bad for the planet sign and also really logistically challenging. We have a huge oh. district. So going and collecting all those signs and distributing them in the first place was was logistically challenging. You know, I asked people to design their own campaign T-shirts. I asked people to support the community through the sales and through donations. It was the most crowdsourced campaign you can imagine. And that was really fun. You know, instead of asking people to text bank and come text strangers, it was text five of your friends who actually are people you know. Go and make a call to one of your family members and tell them about this campaign being very different that you maybe wouldn't normally talk to about politics because we're not talking about my way's right, your way's right. We're talking about how do we make campaigns a positive force for good. I also, you know, came on the backside of that and was like, oh, yeah, I'm also qualified. You know, I happen to have four degrees and I read federal law for fun and I'm a practicing attorney in family law. So I actually know what I'm talking about, too. But really, you know, anybody who looked me up and went and looked at my resume, my qualifications weren't the concern for anybody. It was just whether or not they they found out about me. So that was really fun to basically take all of the things that just suck about politics and make them not suck. Like, how do we make this a positive space? How do we look forward to campaigns, right? You know, it's it's not different than we do with our kids, right? Even my five and seven-year-old, let's turn this around. How do we take this awful situation and turn it into an opportunity to be not awful? So that was a really fun, wonderful space to be in because it challenged not just me, but everybody who followed me to come up with creative ways to make positive politics and not just make it positive because you're being polite, make it positive because you're doing genuine good. So that was, that was sort of the, the theme of the campaign. Like how do we make pos- politics not be this horrible, toxic stew that we have? There were some things that I underestimated. So I thought it wouldn't be as hard as it was to catch a national TV show. I thought that I was doing something that was really innovative and new. And I thought I would probably be able to get on something, you know, didn't really matter what show, whether it was was Good Morning America or Matter, like it didn't matter, any show. And I wasn't able to do that. So that was a little bit limiting and that made me sort of sad. Also, I severely underestimated misogyny. So I live in a sort of protected, buffered world. As I said, I'm an attorney. I work for myself. I work in family law. The area that I work in, almost all of the magistrates are women. About half the judges in this area are women. Our chief justice is a woman. Most of my colleagues are women. All the clerks are women. So there's just not a lot of misogyny oozing out in my day job. <laughs> and I knew that it was still sort of there, but I was I was really shocked at how bad it was. The papers, a lot of them would not say my name. In fact, I just called somebody out on Twitter for that today where they were talking about the lawsuit and the sentence was something about like Bruce Poliquin and Jared Golden and another independent candidate. And I was like, how hard is it to use my name? There was something where it was CNN and they had used all three men's names. So by the time it got to the final ballot, it started out with me and 11 or 12 men, depending on how you consider a candidate. And it, by the final ballot, it was me and three men. And they'd used all three of the men and I came in third. So they used the first, second and fourth place to explain ranked choice voting and literally didn't mention me. Oh so I you know, made a, a snarky little comment on social media and was like, hey, 1970s called and would like their journal back. So maybe if you could include me, that would be great. And the response was not to include 
me, the response was to quietly, without any notation that the article had been changed, delete the fourth candidate. So oh they would rather God. delete a man than add a woman. And then I looked crazy. Then I had people telling me I was taking cheap shots because they just covered the top two candidates. And I'm like, actually, they didn't. So then it became a, why did you delete a man instead of add a woman? And they never responded. They just ignored me. So it, it's, it was shocking to me. The, the local TV stations were a little bit more egalitarian, although I did have to beg my way into a debate and I brought the other independent along with me for that. But the local papers, only one journalist covered me with any sort of regularity. My name was very seldom used. There were two places I can recall seeing my name used in a headline before um, the election. One of them was a profile of me. The other one was when the Kavanaugh hearings were going on and there were a lot of women that were very upset. I did make a point of saying to the men who are running in, in a pretty public way, you know, whether or not you're for or against Kavanaugh, there's a lot of women coming forward with stories of abuse and, and sexual trauma, and they could really use your support right now. So the headline was Tiffany Bond lashes out. It was just, it was so dramatic. So anytime I did get covered, I was minimized. That was really hard. That was, as somebody who's a professional, that was something difficult. I think the most poignant time that happened during the campaign is after the first debate. I had said something during the debate that this is why we're not getting anything done. And it had been used as a headline, but it wasn't credited to me. Mm -hmm. And so I had a man take the quote of this is why we're not getting anything done, attribute it to one of the male candidates and tell me that if I was a straight shooter like that guy oh quoting that quote that I'd probably win. And I had to say, well, like that, that was my quote. And then they're like, you really shouldn't be trying to take credit for other people. And then I made them watch the video. Oh my God. And then they were like, Oh, <laughs> so, I mean, it was, it was surreal. I, I just, it, I couldn't comprehend a world where it was that bad. Like I thought people were kidding or being dramatic. I mean, I'm guilty of it. Right. Cause I thought people were being dramatic and histrionic when they were talking about not being able to get coverage, but it was, it was bad. And this is in Maine where we have no news, right? We cover people <laughs> like our Sunday news will be how many people put their snowmobiles in lakes last weekend. Oh my gosh. So that was, that was really hard. Yeah. The sentence that from today was attorneys for Poliquin Golden Dunlap, who is the secretary of state here and another independent candidate who lost the race were before the U S district court judge Lance Walker Wednesday in Bangor. So like they couldn't use my name. <laughs> Even under, I mean, so I do I, understand it and I want to make, I want to reason my way out of it because it's so incredibly frustrating, but they're really, you're right. There is no. And that's it. At first I thought it was just because they were covering the top two, but for example, we had a, a gubernatorial race that had two men and two women and the lowest ranking candidate in the gubernatorial race was a man. And they covered him with almost exact same coverage as the, the two women and the other man. But in my race, they would just leave off me and the other man who was expected the whole race to pull substantially lower than me because he did have, he had very little campaign activity. I actually really like him. His name's Wahor, but he didn't campaign really at all. Like I campaigned non-traditionally 
he just didn't really campaign. <laughs> so he was on the ballot and he attended the debates, but that was that was about it. So it was surreal to watch that for an active campaign, I wasn't covered. When they did an article talking about the cost per vote that each person had, I wasn't on there, even though I had the lowest vote. And, you know, and again, they included other candidates who had polled or delivered similarly. There was an independent in the race who I actually really enjoy as a person, Terry Hayes, gubernatorial. She got 5.9% of the vote. I got 5.7. I spent under $800. She spent over a million. She was oh my gosh. excluded. Yeah. Right. So it was, it was just, it was surreal. It was surreal to watch the coverage. It was surreal to just be excluded from everything. I've never as an adult, as a professional felt silent in that way before. And so that was probably the biggest takeaway from the campaign is holy cow, We've got some serious misogyny problems in 2018. I'll and tell you what, though. I wonder how much of that, thinking about it now, when you mentioned the, the spending, I mean, especially on the media, look, they make a lot of money from campaigns. Oh, they absolutely. make a lot of money from candidates placing ads in their media outlets. And so even though I don't think, it, maybe consciously, maybe not, they think, well, earned media is earned media and we're fair in our coverage and we're balanced. I have to believe that the candidates who spend the most in advertising in those media outlets, if you did a study, you'd probably see a statistical correlation between how much they spend in ads and how much coverage they get sometimes. And it's particularly if you're not going to spend anything, I have to believe there's maybe editorial decisions that are like, "Mm, maybe we won't cover her that same way. So I agree with that. And I had that expectation. I knew going into this that I was not going to be choosing to spend money. So I, I did not expect them to be doing big features on me. I, I, right. my expectation was I would get the baseline coverage of a candidate and I would have to work for everything else. So my expectation would be that they would mention my name if it was a race that I was in. And if I was doing something meaningful, they would cover it. But that predominantly the articles would be about the Democrat and the Republican. I would get whatever candidate profile they did for everybody who made ballot. I would get whatever video, you know, they were very, like I said, the TVs were very egalitarian. The TV stations all had like a little blurb about me. And I figured I would get that. But I expected most of the coverage to be uh, for the top two men and that my coverage would have to fall under special interest stories. So I expected that. What I didn't expect is that they literally would not say my name. Mm. That was shocking to me. Like in every article about me at the bottom, it would list, you know, also in the race are, you know, Jared Goldman, Bruce Poliquin, and Will Hoare. So I expected that kind of reciprocated and it wasn't. Or when they were talking about campaign finance spending, I would expect them to say, because I'd made very public statements about it, Tiffany Bond did not have to file a report. We are not covering that because she has chosen to refuse campaign contributions, right? I expected just a sentence. I didn't expect an in-depth look at my campaign but, you know, even in things where they did, they there was an article that was basically I was the co-star of. It was about Bruce Poliquin and I was the one they were quoting throughout it. The headline for that just uh, called me either like an opponent or a challenger and the other party was named. So it was just they they literally wouldn't say my name. It was it was shocking. If I told me a year ago what I went through with the coverage and I hadn't personally experienced it, I would think that I needed a tinfoil hat and maybe a little therapy. It was that shocking. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. 
Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. So I think this is a really important conversation. And I think these specific examples are very important to helping people understand the scope of difficulty when you are trying to challenge a very entrenched system. I wonder what you think some solutions are here. Did you observe anything and you think, well, this would help this problem? Is it more women in media? Like what could help solve some of what you endured? I do want to add something, too. I think that when we talk about this, too, it's important to not just call it the electoral system, but it is a political industry. She's Absolutely. not just challenging a system of electoral politics. She's also challenging a multi-billion dollar industry that's built on the way money is spent inside these campaigns. I mean, it's a two-front battle. 
here's my answer is that I think that we need to be responsible consumers of news, right? One of the things that I started towards the end of my campaign is saying like, we need to eat our broccoli. We need our media vegetables. And that's been part of the problem is that we haven't been doing that. So it's almost like we need Norway's slow TV. When the men would behave badly, uh, the first debate, for example, the men we're just bickering with each other and calling each other liars all over the place. And so the next day after the debate, what ended up happening is then they got headline coverage talking about what their positions really were because nobody could get it out of them during the debate. There should have also been an article that was like, and Tiffany Bond and Will Hoare were thoroughly appropriately behaved and answered questions like reasonable human beings. And here's their stances too. Like the, the problem is we're not covering people. And this isn't a misogyny issue. This is a, we just don't cover people who behave appropriately. I mean, that's how we ended up with the current president that we have. That's how we've ended up with a lot of elected leaders is we have a system that encourages bad behavior. It rewards it. If I rewarded my children every time they behaved poorly like this, you know, my children would probably be my children would need a lot more supports to make it through school than they <laughs> currently have. You know, I mean, you just can't, re- you can't reward that sort of bad behavior all the time. And so I think we as consumers of media need to, when we see somebody left out, you know, take 30 seconds, make a quick call or send an email to that news team and say, look, you didn't mention a candidate in this race. And I don't expect you to necessarily do a profile, but say their name. You know, mention if they're doing anything meaningful different because you have a responsibility in journalism to not cover everything, but to at least not exclude things that are a part of the dialogue. Would you do this again? What's next for you? So running for office is a little bit like going to Disney World and ending up backstage and discovering that Mickey is a chain smoker with a coat. <laughs> you find out things you don't want to know. Like I really wanted to believe that the Democrat in my race was as wonderful as everybody thought he was. And what I ended up discovering is it really didn't matter which party, like they weren't that different to me at the end of the race, <laughs> right? I ended up showing up to a debate by myself twice, the same debate at different times. It was rescheduled and I was the only one that showed up appropriate and prepared and ready to go. If we want to have good people in office, we definitely need to reward that. I think that I might be interested in doing it again, but I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it is a huge hardship to your family. It is a huge hardship to like my work. It's been a huge hardship to my work. I did take fewer clients and I thought on the backside of this, my phone would just be ringing off the hook like it did for years. And now people see me as a politician and not an attorney. And so that's been a shift in my practice. that has been harmful. And I didn't anticipate that either. I thought that I would still get calls. I mean, I told people as I was going through the process, I'm running my practices if I won't win. So it was sort of shocking to me when I got done with the election that suddenly my phone wasn't ringing like it always has. So that's been something I've been working on lately. But, you know, I, I also think that it's it's on us to send forward candidates that are functional. So if we want the government that we deserve, we need to deserve the government we want. And that means we have to listen to boring people. That means we have to reward people who you know, aren't maybe as as sexy to cover in the media, but they really are the people who should be doing the jobs. And that means that we have to volunteer for those jobs if we're qualified. And that that's, you know, initially what sort of motivated me. I was watching person after person after person. It happened to all be men jump into the race to say, you know, I want to run. And I it hit a point where there were so many of them. And I'm like, not a one of you knows about federal law. So this is ridiculous. It shouldn't have to be Tiffany every time. Tiffany did really amazing work showing us a different way to do it. 
But we have to stop depending on the same people and the same saviors. I mean, other people have to step up and do this work, too. I mean, I, I am really frustrated in my own race with this sort of narrative of, well, I could never do it. I'm like, like, I'm a saint. I'm not a saint. I'm not a superhero. You could do it. It's not a genetic precondition to be capable of running a campaign or being a politician or being a political candidate. It's just a choice people make. And I mean, more people, if we want to, like you said, if we want to see better people out there, it's not asking the same good people to put themselves on the line and sacrifice over and over again. It's more good people stepping up and saying, I'm willing to do this too. Well, and we need to support the people that do jump out there more. Like I didn't ask very much from people, but I I would have gotten a lot better if I'd had a lot more support. Like if every person in the country who were frustrated with the current system bought one main product and one main raising, I would have won in a landslide. But it's hard to make that leap and say, you know, I'm willing to spend $15 or $10 outside of the, the huge political industry that we have right now to try something new. Even if I'd had you know, like 30,000 people do it, which is a sliver of the people who are dissatisfied with our current system, I would have won in a landslide. So the the problem I had is getting people to try something new and, and have that support. I think, you know, when I started, I also had like less than 100 followers on social media. I, I am a very private person. I'm actually an introvert. So it was hard for me to blow my personality up big enough to, to have impact. So, you know, having better supports helps. If you think it needs to be different, make a point of, you know, taking an hour to volunteer, making a point of saying, I'm going to contribute $10 this month or something that's manageable. If we were all trying to change the system, we could have a really great system. You know, I'm torn if I want to just go back to my practice or, there's a couple of people in politics that I make me frustrated, right? I mean, I don't think that the Democrat that won was any better than the Republican that was in office. And I came to that conclusion pretty late in the race. But, you know, maybe that's where I run again. Or we have Susan Collins, who if she would state that she was a conservative instead of just state that she's a moderate and then vote like a conservative, I think a lot more people would like her, but they don't. I mean, the the political world that we live in right now is so surreal. I mean, there was a point in time when I was on the stage, the first debate, Justice Kavanaugh was literally getting sworn in for the third time, like some bad celebrity marriage. And the Democrat and the Republican were arguing over who Susan Collins liked more. And at that point in time, women were very upset with Susan Collins because she was stringing them along about how she was going to vote with Justice Kavanaugh. And she'd actually like Again, whether or not you like or dislike Justice Kavanaugh, she'd really hurt a lot of people's feelings. She'd really had a lot of people feel disenfranchised. And then the TV cut to a commercial of one of the other candidates drinking beer with a bro. And I was like, how is this 2018? Yeah. <laughs> we just we're living in this satire. It's not even it's it's not what reflects who we are. And that's really a tragedy. The other thing that I would tell people is I'm telling you, I am not the smartest person. I do stupid things all the time. There are huge holes in my information that make me sort of comedic and the things that I don't understand. People running for office are not as bright as people giving them credit. (laughs) So really a lot of people can run for office. I mean, I'm smart in some ways. Like I, you know, I qualify for Mensa, but that doesn't mean I know where my car keys are. That doesn't mean that I understand a lot of things about the world that are probably very meaningful to some people. I'm telling you right now that most people in office are not 
exponentially more brilliant than anybody listening to the show. Most people in office are not more thoughtful. They're not more dedicated. They just, a lot of them are willing to make compromises that we shouldn't ask people to make. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's maybe what we should walk away with is, you know, demand that our media pay more consistent attention and, and be a better source of information, not just worry about ratings, but worry about actual information and content delivery. Make sure we're on top of that. Realize that anybody can run for office. These, the people who are getting elected are not not necessarily the the best and the brightest that this country has to offer. And in fact, I saw a lot of amazing candidates knocked out at primaries that made me so sad, often in favor of an inferior candidate. So know that the person who prevails, it has very often little to do with skill and we should be changing that. You could be one of those people or supporting one of those people that's great. And really look at the system and, and ethically what we're willing to accept. I think that it is incumbent on us ultimately as voters to say, we're not doing this anymore. It doesn't work for us because asking politicians who got elected by this system to change it isn't going to happen. It's unrealistic. You you hear people yelling, overturn Citizens United. Citizens United is not going to get overturned in any time in the near future and certainly not if there's not another viable path to get elected. So I think this has been just a fantastic and important conversation, and I so appreciate your willingness to have it. I would love to end by hearing your favorite main raising story. Who had a purchase and contacted you in a way that was just awesome. You know, uh, there were so many, uh, like there really, there were so many. It is hard to give you an answer to that. I loved watching. I loved watching people have a product and then tell other people how great it was. Like there's a, a coffee company up in Bar Harbor that people are just hooked on, or there was a great soap provider that, that is out in the islands that people were just hooked on. So I, I hate to, maybe call out one reseller. But what I loved is I love that not only did people buy stuff and share it a little bit on social media, maybe not quite as much as I would have liked, but I loved watching them share it with their friends. Like that's the part that really, I loved more than main raising. I loved that it, it made a new community. And that was the cool part about main raising. It made it fun and it made it helpful and it made it nice. And so I couldn't pick from the, gosh, it was it was in the hundreds of people who had small businesses that would send me an email and say, somebody just placed an order. Who are you? I want to know about your politics or people that were contributing $5 that was the most they had in their budget and they gave it to a charity because they didn't want to give it to another political campaign where it would just buy, you know, one one thousandth of a second of an ad they didn't like anyway. So... I don't think there was one great main raising story because main raising and the community it made were that was the great. What a long lasting and multifaceted gift you gave to your community by running. I think that's awesome. And be the change, right? I mean, like you really we really all those old adages about how you change things, you change things by changing them. So let's change them. I mean, whether or not I run again, we can choose a different path. Everything that we have, all of the things that we've structured in our political community. They are man-made. We created that. We can make something totally different. We could have a productive, healthy, wonderful political relationship. It's just something we need to collectively choose. That's the only thing keeping us from that. Tiffany, thank you for spending time with us again. We hope everybody enjoyed our conversation with Tiffany Vaughn. We thank her so much for coming on and being so open and honest and vulnerable with us. Now we're going to share what's on our mind outside politics, which is the new season of Top Chef. I don't even like Top Chef. True story. Never watched it before. I'm 
Ivy once. I've watched every season of Top Chef. Love it. Perfect. Yes. So I think, one, it's just exciting for Top Chef to be in Kentucky. Yes. Because Top Chef is a show that wherever they are, they really positively showcase mm-hmm. that community. Mm-hmm. And I love getting to see Kentucky positively showcased. Amen to that. And, of course... One of the contestants is my friend, Sarah Bradley. Literally, we went to high school together. She's a year younger than me in high school. I've known her my whole life. And now she went away, got to be a fancy chef, and then came back to Paducah and opened Freight House, which everyone should come to Paducah ASAP because it's about to get crowded. you not be able to get a reservation. So come and check it out. It's an amazing restaurant. She's an amazing chef. Her mini team won the first challenge, which was very exciting. And then... The first quick fire. Their first quick fire. But then in the regular challenge, they grouped them in three and they had to compete against each other and she was third but only because i think the rest of her team was very strong if she'd been in another grouping of three i think she would have been the first place contender and you could tell because then they took all the people who got third place from their teams and separated them out and she didn't even make it to the like three they were they were discussing to cut so i felt very good about her performance also she's uh, has always been quite a character and so she's just fun she's when the second i heard she's on top shelf i was like perfect she'll be perfect on reality show she's very funny she's very quick-witted and so she's, I think she's a very fun character. And I really like that her and that other girl know each other and are like friends from beforehand, the other Southern lady. So I, I loved it. It's it's a little nerve wracking for me. I'm like constantly in my head. I'm like, okay, what are the producers going to do? Did she good? Blah, 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 blah. But I thought it was really fun. It's nice to see lots of strong women chefs. Top Chef does a pretty good job with mm-hmm. that, I think. But it this looks like a really formidable group of women chefs, which is fun to watch. I was not pleased with the first elimination. Yeah, that girl was cool. I felt like... Like they kept someone who made a beet salad on or, top shelf. It was boring. Instead of keeping people who went for it and missed. Yeah. I can make a beet salad at home. I don't want to watch a beet salad. And on they top made chef. like and they talked a lot about how he didn't make a good choice. And I thought, well, they set her up as this like very sympathetic mom who like went and had kids and is now doing it. And I thought, why would they sell that story? I don't even know anything about this guy and keep him. I thought that was like such a weird choice. But I guess they were doing it so you felt you felt her elimination, which stop manipulating me, reality show producers. Yeah, and I felt her elimination particularly. This is just a spoiler because she's in the Cincinnati area. Mm. And so I was really rooting for her too. And she made biscuits. I'm rooting for people who make biscuits all the time. But anyway, I think it's going to be a really good season. I'm excited about it. I don't understand what this second chance situation is. What happens? So the eliminated chefs go to Second Chance Kitchen. And for internet content, they have a separate competition going on there for someone to come back. Whoever wins, Second Chance Kitchen gets to come back into Top Chef. Towards the end. Towards the end. Okay. And one time, one of my favorite chefs, Chef Kristen, actually got eliminated, went to Second Chance Kitchen, won it, came back, and won all of Top Chef. Shut up! So it's possible. Yes. That's amazing. That's very exciting. Yes. Okay. Well, hope... Hopefully everybody is following along with Top Chef Kentucky along with us because I'm sure there will be lots of Instagram story like I was the other night as Top Chef Kentucky's season continues. Thank you all for joining us for this episode of Pantsy Politics. Thank you for your patience with our sound as we record from Sarah's van. <laughs> Thank you to Dylan and Elise, our team, who are working with us through kind of a difficult day because we are on the road instead of in our normal space. We will be back with you on The Nuanced Life on Wednesday sharing more of your commemorations and here again on Friday. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. And thanks for making us sound better and smarter, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our production assistant. 
which means we could not live without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you so much, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help make the show better. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, Cherry Haas, Sarah's husband, Nicholas Holland, and my husband, Chad Silvers. Learn more about our live events that we're involved in and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with us and members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 